0: at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. This evening, welcome. Glad that you're able to be here. And to those of you who are online, welcome as well. Thank you, John, for running the uh, video back there and Kevin for the audio tonight. All right, are you ready to go upstairs for truth trackers? Okay, well, oh, they could they could we've had a request that they would listen to the uh, testimony so let's do that I'm gonna ask Ben to come straight away because those kids really want to run (laughs) so we'll have him uh, listen to Ben's testimony and then we'll uh, we'll share another testimony or two but after Ben's testimony you can be free to leave
1: all right so um, <clears throat> my testimony's is not as exciting because uh, I was a bit like uh, David when he was going after the enemy. And he left some of the troops to, you know, guard the stuff. Uh, so I, I was the, I volunteered to be the odd man out because there was five of us. And so I was alone in the square by the Diag um, passing out tracks. Um, and uh, uh, it, it went well. Um, I, I focused on just handing out tracks um, because I was by myself, and really to talk well with people, it helps to have, be with someone else, you know. <laughs> um, and, uh, um, you know, the forecast was 50-50% chance of rain, and I prayed, and uh, rain did not interfere. We got some light sprinkles, but no big deal. Um yeah and uh uh, it was real encouragement there was five of us and i've been praying for the lord to raise up evangelists among us because it's really a really important mission of the church um and jesus said i you know uh, um just as you sent me into the world i send have sent them into the world and to think that uh, how amazing it would have been when Je- to be with Jesus when he came into the world and to experience the, the light of Christ and the love. And then to think that we are sent in, into the world to reveal God, uh, not to that magnitude, of course, but in the same way. And uh, we, we need to be about that business. Um, uh no, one thing I wanted to share is uh, um, Jansen's uh, uh, been teaching about uh, evangelism. is very timely and stuff, and um, uh, one tip I have is uh, to think about your opening line. It's one thing when you're witnessing to coworkers and stuff, but when you're approaching complete strangers, you know, it helps to think about an opening line um, and, uh, you know, I just thought of Acts 17 and Paul, you know, I, I uh, proclaimed to you the unknown God. That was his opening line, you know. And when you think about people are used to being approached by advertising left and right and where people wanting to sell them stuff and pushing stuff on them. And then here comes this guy talking about some man named Jesus, you know. It helps to have some kind of opening line to just kind of clear up, like, what are we trying to communicate here, you know? And uh, especially when you're in a square and people are on their way hither and thither and and don't have a lot of time to talk necessarily. Um, uh, But I I had also uh, to prepare, I wrote a little track in my own words summarizing the gospel because it's hard to... If you know, memorize word for word a gospel presentation. It's best if it's in your own words and that little exercise is just something that helps me, the way my brain works, to be prepared, especially if someone's just walking by and they have one minute to tell the whole gospel. And I was, thank the Lord, I I was able to put that in use with a Chinese lady. Um... I'm guessing, although I have no idea, but based on her reaction, she may have never heard of Jesus before or any of this stuff. She was just... uh, um, seemed to be totally unfamiliar with any of this. So I gave her basically a whole plan of salvation in one minute as best I could. (laughs) And uh, she had to get going. Um, uh, You know... Uh, Another thought is uh, perhaps you're like, uh, well, I'm not a super social, I don't have great social skills, so uh, I am not gifted evangelism. Uh, Thank goodness we have people like Drew and stuff who are, and they'll take care of it all for me, but, well, I have news for you. God has called all of us to be evangelists in one way or another, and, uh, um, the Lord's been working in my heart to think about just the opportunities we miss on a daily basis. We live in the world, and there, you know, a coworker, you know, came up to me and just talking about Game of Thrones the other day, and I was, I seized the opportunity and said, "I, as a Christian, I cannot watch that." You know, everything you say like that is a testimony of the gospel. It doesn't have to be necessarily the whole plan of salvation, but, you know, um, uh, but, uh, and we should be doing that. I've blown many opportunities. Uh, sometimes they pass me by and only the next day I'm like, I should have said something, you know, like, you know, um, when, uh, Dr. Yanga died and people knew that I'd been to his funeral and someone came up to me, I hope you're okay. I'm like, thank you very much. I'm good. And the next day I'm like, I didn't say anything. I totally blew an opportunity. So what I'm telling you is be mindful every single day uh, of the opportunities to tell about Jesus. So you don't blow opportunities and And literally every day we need to be thinking about this and um, looking forward to different opportunities the Lord might bring our way to share the gospel. Um, But uh, about the social skills, uh, uh, especially when you're approaching complete strangers, you're like, I can't do that, you know. Well, um, uh, Moses uh, was called to lead the people out of uh, Egypt, and uh, he said to the Lord who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt so he said and this is the Lord speaking I will certainly be with you Um, so um, Moses was a very humble man and he knew who am I he wasn't like oh yes I'll be this great person yeah sure I want to do that that'd be great you know I'll be great (laughs) no he was like who am I But there was still one problem. Like he had the right humble attitude realizing he needed God, but he was like, but he's like, but I'm so incapable, I can't do this. And the Lord said, who is the one who created the tongue? You know? (laughs) And then there was a whole situation with the Lord providing Aaron to be a bit of a spokesperson. But, uh, you know, Moses Later kind of matured in his faith and and uh, no longer was saying, I can't. He would instead, he was who would pray to the Lord when he had a problem and said instead of saying he can't. And so, but you look at his biggest fear was he, he's uh, not good of speech. Uh, and I was like, well, that's kind of like me. Uh, in fact, my social skills are terrible. Um, people don't know it because I learn how to act normal. But like, when I'm in situations that I haven't been in before, like, I don't know, well, what do you say, you know? <laughs> so I, I'm starting to pass out treks, and George is like, you should, like, say hello and greet them. And then when they, you know, make eye contact and, you know, you got their attention, hand them a trick. I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. So I did that. Uh, Anyway, all this to say the the Lord can use you even if you don't have great social skills. Um, And uh, so I'm just very thankful for all that the Lord did. And and I'm thankful for the Lord raising up evangelists among us. And I encourage you all uh, to be about the business of uh, making disciples of men. Sorry about being so long-winded for some. No, I am grateful,
0: Ben, for what you said. Every word was excellent. That transparency was helpful because uh, probably 90% of us feel the same way about one or the other of those matters. You guys can go to the truth trackers now, please, if you want to do that still. Yeah, and uh, is there anyone? Uh, well, I'll just uh, I just say thank you again for that, Ben. That is excellent. Uh, You never know how a simple hello and a smile may grab somebody's attention because there are a lot of troubled people out there. You don't know what's going on in their life, but uh, you may help them just by starting a conversation like that and being able to give them the words of life. Any other testimonies that anybody wants to share? A... uh, an anecdote from yesterday, or another time, uh, or yes, I see that. I'm waiting and see if somebody else has something. Well, okay, Jansen, come again, please. Yes. No, don't worry about quick.
2: All right. Uh, so, I was also kind of by myself. I was with George, but we were. Kind of a little distance away for a while. So I was just handing out tracts, and uh, this young man and woman walked by with a clipboard, and I just greeted them and I asked them if I could give them this tract. And she said, sure, you know, she'd take it. And then I proceeded to realize that they were also going to set up and have their own kind of, you know, handouts and stuff, and so, and engage in pe- with co- people in conversation. And so um, after they had been kind of set up for a couple minutes, I realized I think they're advocating for uh, Prop 3. And so I just kind of engaged her in conversation and said, you know, oh, what are you guys doing? And she um, she explained, and um, she said, yeah, I, she said, I took your track, and I she said, I promise I will read it. She said, but I I figured I wouldn't even ask you if you wanted to sign up for this. I already knew what you would say. And uh, but she didn't say it in like a in a derogatory way. It was just like she recognized even from just the fact that I was there handing out. Tracks that uh, we were not for that kind of uh, thing. And so it gave me an opportunity actually then to say why I wouldn't sign up for for something like that or advocate. And I told her, you know, of uh, how we believe from Scripture that all people are created in the image of God and and have value and and worth. And uh, and just had a nice little conversation with her and, and then also with the young man that was with her as well. And so I don't know, you know, what seed was planted, but. Uh, I appreciated even just the testimony that we have amongst unbelievers. And in this case, you know, uh, uh, not an antagonistic one, but just a recognition that uh, we as believers uh, value life. And uh, I appreciated that. So.
0: A very excellent testimony. Thank you, Jansen, for that. The Bible uh, predicates of the unborn both sin. In the womb, they're conceived in sin. We all are conceived in sin, and it predicates of each one life, life. So you have a living human who is a sinner in that womb. So uh, snuffing that out is obviously murder. Thank you, Jansen, for that word, uh, unequivocal uh, Support. And that's a good word too. Just being out there, like when we have the, the uh, booth at the art fair, that is in itself. Even if you say nothing, is salt. You know what I mean? Salt is the preserving uh, element that the Lord talked about. If salt has loses its flavor, what good is it, right? So we have to keep we have to keep that salt quality going. Anybody else? You may add to yours from this morning. Excellent.
3: I apologize. This morning I was so caught up uh, with the, just the great joy I had with uh, the, the brothers going out. I, I, I neglected to talk about some of the conversations that I had. And, uh, you know, like I, John and I, we talked to nine people. And each of those nine people, we asked them the exact same question. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? And, you know, you get, I love that question because you get a wide range of things and you get to know where they're at. So I'm like, um, I go to heaven. Why is that? Oh, I, I try to do good things. Okay. What are good things? Uh, it's, you know, what, what I or society think is good. Oh, okay. So Hitler thought what he did was good. Nazi Germany thought as a whole what he did was good. Was it good? The United States has a, definition of good. And then the Middle East has a different definition of what is good. Which one's right? How do you know? I don't know. There's one way to know what's right and wrong, and that's God's word. As we kind of keep pushing it back to that direction. There was one couple that we talked to that I asked that question to, and uh, it was a boyfriend and a girlfriend. And the boyfriend, you know, John stopped him, and uh, I think the boyfriend was really interested to talk. And the girlfriend's just... Giggling, like I can't believe we're talking to these people, you know, like I can't believe we stopped and talked to these crazy guys, <laughs> and uh the boyfriend was interested, and I asked him, If you're a dead day, would you go to heaven or hell? Hell, hell, you know, and the girl was just giggling, and I looked her straight in the eye, what about you? Where are you gonna go? Heaven or hell, and she stopped giggling right away, and she kind of shrunk and hell. Okay. Well, that's a problem. <laughs> we need to talk about that. We can't just blow it off, you know? And I, 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 I talked about the fact that it's our, our minds so easily gets that, oh, you know, we have bad times, you know, time heals all wounds. But that's not true. You know, there's no end. And if you, if you could go back in time, you know, and, and tell people, don't, don't go into the Twin Towers on 9-11. Don't, don't join this plane. That's why we're here. Because we, we care. We, we love. So of the nine people, we asked that same question and we told them the same thing, that we're here because we love and we are concerned. And that all the nine conversations that we did have, I mean, I think John can agree with this, they were, they were pleasant and they, they thought. One, one girl, you know, was walking by, they offer you a track. Uh, what's it about? Uh, eternal life. No, I'm good, but I, I respect all religions. I don't need to take a track. Okay, what does that mean? What do you mean by you respect all religions? Oh, and so we, we started talking. And in our engagement, she said, okay, I'll take a track. And, you know, it, it, just my, my goal is is just grab them. Let's, let's just have a dialogue. Let's have a conversation. Because in that, then people will start to kind of start to think about things. And I think that the interactions we had yesterday, uh, they thought about it. I think they felt challenged uh, because they did, I did get a couple remarks from them saying, well, that's that's a really good point. Or that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that, and so kept trying to point it back to scripture and urging them to read the track and a website and whatnot. So, wanted to share that portion.
0: Drew, excellent again. Thank you. Anybody else? Question. Yes. Question: uh, Do we have something that folks can scan on their phone? And yes, we we have designed a QR code, and uh, maybe some years ago when they first came out, and then more recently, uh, I think in, uh, with the art fair, didn't we? Yeah, with the art fair, yeah, I was on the booth there, um, so we could actually print that out or make another one and have it point to a page on the website that would just take them right to a gospel presentation. It's uh, easy. Yeah, you just have to do a little legwork for that. Maybe print out a laminated page that folks can carry out on campus. Yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah, you can have a picture on your phone. A bumper sticker with a QR code. (laughs) Okay. yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's a good idea. Well, oh, have you uh try it uh you you guys uh keep those ideas coming but uh be willing to help out with them as well. So what page what what do you want the content of the page to be when they go to it on the site? We can put any content on there. So yeah, that's good. Excellent. Anybody else? Ben. Yeah, for a good for some context that scanning or digital kind of stuff would be good. Ben is pointing out that we really want to focus our attention on interpersonal interaction with people. Certainly, uh, information tracts, pamphlets, things—those do have an impact and have had in the past. But uh, we need to share with people the the gospel. Make sure that I don't lose my water here. All right. I don't. Yes, John. Yes. Yeah, so on the back of our our tracts, we have a sticker that has the church website address and uh, a, a name and phone number. So um, so we do have something there. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, that's the thing. Uh, ben is saying that uh, you know it's not the not the greatest idea to go chase people down, but you know what? If you have the heart for them like the Lord did, you almost want to do that. You want to help them. You want to say, look, look at me. You are going into a Christless eternity. Do you know what that is? Well, let's pause and pray for those that we um, contacted yesterday, these men at least, I should say, not me included this time, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to pray for those people that have been mentioned this evening, the conversations that were had and uh, by uh, <clears throat> Drew and Ben and John and George and Jansen. Thank you for their efforts. Thank you for putting it in their hearts to go and do this work. It was a great encouragement to my soul to hear of all of this. And Lord, we give these reports not to uh, pat these men on the back in some special way or give them uh, Uh, props, but to recognize that the ministry of the church is this, to make known the name of Christ, and they were missionaries yesterday, an extension out of our ministry, to carry out this purpose. We're called to make disciples of all the nations, and in fact, all the nations come to towns like ours because of the university. And we have a ready-made opportunity to do that. So we ask for your blessing and help in all the different uh, opportunities that we have, the brainstorming. Thank you for all of that. We're here, Lord, to remember your work. And uh, part of that, we feel this evening is to proclaim it to others. And uh, we do indeed thank you that that happened. I pray for that couple where the young woman was giggling and then was caught up short when question came to her that this was no giggling matter. Uh, Lord, for each one, may they recognize that the answer, heaven or hell, is crucial and it's connected to a whole body of truth that has been revealed from the lips of the Lord Jesus and his apostles, written down and transmitted to us in the present day, translated and put into our language so that we can understand it. and We thank you for that work in those people's lives, Lord. As we prayed this morning, may they read or reread the tract. May they think about what happened. May they go to the website. May they reach out to us. May they take whatever steps are necessary to find out the name and the work and the person of the Lord Jesus. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A couple of questions about the Lord's table before we uh, partake of it this evening. Uh, and one I have kind of the most information on, I think, this evening, uh, well, maybe yeah, about, about half of what I have here, is this question, how did the table come to be practiced as it is today without a full meal like the Last Supper? Is that an accurate representation of the question? Pretty good? All right. Well, let me suggest a few thoughts, how we practice the, the Lord's table today without a full meal like the Last Supper. Uh, a Passover meal is once a year by definition. It's how it was made and uh, how it was instituted. We have the Lord's table more often, monthly, or in some churches even weekly. So of necessity, if you have it 12 times a year, you can't have a Passover meal with it in a, some kind of official way. You know, even if we wanted to celebrate it just like the, the first time, we could only do so once a year. But the Lord's table is not a Passover meal anyway. We've, in my teaching on it the last two Wednesdays, I've said that it's a, an adaptation, a change, a, a uh, last Passover, you know, new first uh, communion, if you will, kind of situation. It's not commemorating a deliverance from Egypt for the nation of Israel. Almost in, probably in almost none of the communion services that we've had, have you been sitting there thinking, boy, thank God that he delivered the nation of Israel from (laughs) the land of Egypt. Thank God that he did do that. But you were thinking, thank God that he delivered me, most of us Gentiles in this context, from a life of sin and into The glory of eternal life. Thank God that he did that and you have a deep connection to God through Christ and you're commemorating that and remembering him in what he did. So it is commemorating this table, something even more important and amazing than the death of Christ on the behalf of sinners. Now the early church shared together fellowship meals, just Meals generally, but in particular, meals surrounding the Lord's table, and you see evidence of this in First Corinthians eleven, where Paul talks about them coming together and one being hungry and another being drunk, and he has to regulate this abusive practice that they had uh, in in the in the church. But we see that they had those meals in Jude twelve, Jude chapter one, the only chapter, verse number twelve. Uh, Jude talks about these false teachers, these fakes who are spots at your love feasts, he called it. And those love feasts were this kind of thing, this meal around the table of the Lord, which was kind of uh, at, the, at the dessert, if you will, was, were the elements of the table. These meals were these love feasts, as in all things in our sinful, sinful world, subject to misuse and abuse. So if you think about it, even the best things in life can be abused, can't they? Everything is. The love of a man and a woman, abused all the time outside of the bonds of marriage. Uh, the, uh, The Lord's table service, believed wrongly, practiced wrongly, abused. Fellowship meals that turn into divisions, favoritism, cliques, drunkenness, gluttony, or other features that dirty its practice this holy remembrance, and Paul had to offer corrections to the church in Corinth. And so over the course of history, many churches ceased or did not start having these meals in the first place because of this. In in many churches, the meal is simplified to include just the two elements and a few readings of Scripture or comments around those elements, and that's the kind of practice that we have. And it, it, now, let me modify that just a little bit by saying in our church history, we often would share potluck meals on the first Sunday in the afternoon at noontime, one o'clock, and then a few hours later come and share the Lord's table. So there really kind of was a uh, communion meal and then capped off that evening by the Lord's table. And so that was a, a special way to to do it. We uh, later reverse the pro, the order and would have the Lord's table sometimes in the early morning service and then have a potluck lunch. Lately, our potluck lunches have been a little, uh, how can I say, discombobulated because of world circumstances. But um, in any case, that's what we would do. And, and also in our practice, which comes out of the brethren kind of Uh, idea, not that it derives directly from there, but it is uh, quite closely related. We've devoted an entire service to the Lord's table instead of tacking on the elements of the table to the end of a worship service. I've I've been pushed by certain ones to just have the Lord's table at the end of the morning worship service because most people are there. And I've resisted that over the years because I want to have believers there primarily. And if you're a believer, you'll care enough to come earlier on the Sunday morning or come on Sunday night. You don't have anything more important to do. Can I say that again? You don't have anything more important than the Lord's table in your life. Nothing. And so I say that not only to the choir here, because you are the choir, so to speak, but to everybody listening. Uh, We need to get our priorities straight. Football doesn't count, okay? Watching YouTube, Netflix, television, all that sort of stuff doesn't count. You know, getting ready for work tomorrow for most of us is not too much of an effort that we have to stay home and can't spend an hour together on Sunday night. Anyway, that's just a little exhortation I didn't plan to put in there, but. You know, we don't want to tack this on to our life or just forget about it. I've said this before. You know, people, speaking of the importance of the practice of it, if you haven't been at the Lord's table and shared the elements together in a while, uh, you are in very bad spiritual health. I just tell you that too. Very bad spiritual health. I mean, you know, uh, the little machine that has the, you know, heart rate on there, it's looking pretty flat. Now, you'd interpret that how you want to interpret that, but I'm serious. Churches, you know, I'll call them serious churches, will say if you haven't participated in Lord's Table in six months or a year or whatever, your membership is gone. So they're serious about it. You might disagree with that, but I would say they have a point. They have a point. Um, Anyways... We, we dedicate an entire service to this. I noticed in other churches that I've been in that worship goes on, uh, and then they have the Lord's table, and it feels like it's an extra long time. You know, it's already noon. Well, for me, it's a little afternoon by the time I'm done preaching. I can blame the clock today, honestly, because I thought, man, I'm, I'm doing so good. I'm just afternoon, and then I remembered, oh, that clock was a few minutes slow. So... <laughs> So it was actually 1210 when I looked at my watch. I'm like, oh, I did it again. <laughs> oh, well. Um, but, you know, then here's what happens. Let's be honest with ourselves. So the preacher gets done preaching, and then he says, oh, and yeah, we have the Lord's table today. And your heart sinks because you get this impatient feeling like, oh, man, we got to stay even extra long today, to share the elements of the table. What kind of way is that to to have as an attitude for the table again? So since we're remembering uh, the Lord's table, uh, we believe it shouldn't be an afterthought. We make it a centerpiece of worship in our monthly services that we remember Him in, and that's what we're doing here. It's right in, with, and part of the service. So that's where our practice is, and how a little bit of history about how it came to be practiced the way that it is. <clears throat> I thought of another question that um, has come from time to time, and that is this. And this has some very interesting information associated with it, I think. Why is it that we use grape juice instead of wine? Have you ever asked that question to yourself? Why, why is it that we use grape juice instead of wine? Well, I give a few thoughts here that are uh, um, unmoored from history, just for my first couple thoughts. They're just, the way that I look at it, you know, having come into this church with the background that I have without looking at, you know, past history and why the church has done it this way and so on. And I start by saying we want to avoid any appearance of impropriety, any appearance of impropriety. There's no alcohol here. And there's no opportunity because there's alcohol stored in the refrigerator or wherever that anybody can have any kind of uh, problem. Uh, And then secondly, because in my understanding, new wine in the Bible, new wine was this, unfermented grape juice. It was called glucos, and you see that in um, Acts chapter 2 and other places, uh, or some, sometimes people call it sweet wine. Uh, the Lord also spoke of drinking the, the cup again new with you in the kingdom. All the translations have that new there. It's almost awkwardly placed, and I think it refers to the kind of wine instead of drinking it anew with them again. That, seemed, that would seem to be redundant. Um, So those are my first two thoughts on the matter, why grape juice instead of wine. But also thirdly, because fermentation and alcoholic content has nothing to do with the meaning of the symbol. The symbol is not um, reduced in effect by reason of it not having any fermented or alcoholic uh, features to it. Uh, It's not meant to be a delicacy uh, for its taste. Or for to produce any kind of inebriation in any sense whatsoever. this is a very sober service. This is not a service that you just come to and uh, you know enjoy the wine. I wonder what kind of wine they have in the service this time. you know, all the wine connoisseurs might wonder. The grape juice or wine used in ancient times most likely had some level of fermentation in it because of lack of refrigeration and pasteurization. Today we have both, refrigeration and pasteurization, so we can easily preserve the juice of the grape for a much longer period in its native state. I don't know that we really, I'll say it this way, I am quite sure we don't really understand the blessing of the time in which we live, that we can go to the refrigerator and pull out a gallon of milk and do that day after day until the milk is gone without it spoiling, or the grape juice. You know, you can buy grape juice not refrigerated at Costco in these monster containers, you know, 100% grape juice, and we like to refrigerate it, you know, but it's stored like without refrigeration. How is that even possible? Well, it wasn't possible. If grape juice stayed unattended to for a few days in ancient times, what would happen? It would go bad unless you properly did it to To bring about the fermentation process and preserve it in a wine form. So it's a blessing for us to have that. I mean, we spend far less time and money on food than almost anyone has in world history. You know, maybe except for kings and those, you know, very prestigious places. But it's a blessing for us. But anyway, we don't need the fermentation to keep it safe or. Uh, you know, healthy. Now, here's the interesting little thing, and I, I bring a quote uh, to you from a site that I found on this. Um, when we talk about uh, grape juice instead of wine, up until the 1800s, it was always, almost always, wine at any Lord's table service in any church because that's what was available. But listen to this uh, um, a dentist and prohibitionist named Thomas Bramwell Welch, 1825 to 1903, applied new pasteurization techniques to stop the natural fermentation process of grape juice. Some Christians who were part of the growing temperance movement pressed for a switch from wine to grape juice, and the substitution spread quickly over much of the United States as well as to other countries to a lesser degree. So you remember the temperance movement, prohibition uh, movement. I mean, what if, what if today? So, so what if we're having the Lord's table, and we use wine, and I'm not saying that churches are, you know, terribly wrong to use a little bit of wine for their their cup. We don't do that, and we believe that we have a sound reasoning for that. But suppose that we did. That's all we had, and then prohibition comes, and you're not allowed to buy or sell alcoholic beverages. What would we do? Not have our, you know, would we practice civil disobedience? You know, one of our, one of our deacons has a still at the house to make the, <laughs> to make the wine for the Lord's table. It's a very honest, you know, use of <laughs> <laughs> chemical engineers. Yes, you can figure out how to do that. Um, what would you do? Well, if you have grape juice, no problem, right? Yeah, so it's not fermented. It doesn't break the law. Well, this is interesting um, that they so believed in this because of the devil in the bottle. And we've just, because all of us have grown up since then, just kind of like, yeah, whatever. It just is how it is. And there's going to be now a generation, by the way, who grow up with that same mentality towards weed, towards smoking pot because it's legal in so many places, and it's going to be another one of those things that we have to teach our children not to be involved in. We always did before, but you know now it's so readily available on every street corner practically in certain places like in Ann Arbor. And uh, it's just a vice, just a vice. Same with the bottle. Um, now, Welch helped the Underground Railroad as a teenager. Can you believe that? I said he was born 1825, so he was in the early years up to the 1840s, he would have been in his teen years, he helped on the Underground Railroad. He later became a Wesleyan Methodist minister. In 1869, he invented a method to pasteurize grape juice, thus stopping its fermentation, making juice that was non-alcoholic. And he called it Dr. Welch's Unfermented Wine like new wine. New wine, is just it's new because it's just freshly squeezed. But you can imagine the, the trouble it would be to freshly squeeze enough grape juice for a large church to have enough to partake in the Lord's table. In 1890, Welch's Grape Juice Company was formed with son Charles Welch. They were prohibitionist crusaders and encouraged churches to use their unfermented wine for communion. And that is the very same Welch's company that you're familiar with jams, jellies, juices, and things like that today. So quite an interesting uh, connection to why we use grape juice instead of wine. There are both theological and historical reasons for that. Why grape juice at all? Um, you know, it, if you look, think back with me to Exodus chapter 12 where the Passover was established. Do you remember them saying anything about wine there? There's nothing about wine in Exodus 12. So where did that come from? Where did it come from? Well, it's a later uh, addition to the Passover Seder celebration, the number of cups, the symbolism invested in them by those who practiced it and so on. Um, So they're not that way because of biblical command, as far as I can tell. But grape juice is a very fitting symbol. Symbol because it reminds us in its color of the cleansing of the crimson flood that we have been washed in, in the blood of Christ. And so thus, the grape juice is a fitting symbol for what the Lord wanted to convey to us, which is that he wants us to remember our connection. Remember what we said from last Wednesday, remember our connection to him, and what he accomplished on our behalf. We thus proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We recognize that his blood was shed for many for the remission of sins, and that's what we're going to remember just now. What I'd like to do is to close our portion of time here in the Word with a little moment of silence. I'm gonna step aside from the pulpit here. We're gonna ask um, you to just pray and reflect, meditate for a moment. And then after that, uh, I will come. We'll close this portion of the service, close the live stream, and then we'll have our uh, el- share share the elements together. So just take a moment, please.